I ain't so good at reading lips either. Hey. <laughs> well, good morning, FCC Church. Hey. No, the clicker. Yeah, who's running clicker? Sorry, we're having a debate. Uh, Mark Silva, could you please run the clicker up here, please? If you don't mind. The clicker. Thank you. All right, let's try this again. Good morning, FCC Church. All right, how's everybody doing this wonderful Sunday morning? And a big shout out to Ken Martin. He made it to church today. Could you please stand up and worship along with us?
45:33 tells us follow the whole instruction of the Lord your the, the, the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live prosper and have a long life in the land that you will possess let's pray together father we thank you for the blessings you've given us and lord i pray that as we live our life each day we live it for you and father we're here today to celebrate jesus and to celebrate the work you've done through him together it's in jesus name that we pray amen well good morning morning. it's good to see everybody today we're glad that you're here to worship the lord together with us as we as we come together to do that. For those of you who are watching online, please make sure you fill out your connection card for us through the link that we sent you. And also here in-house, make sure you fill out your connection card, put your prayer requests and stuff so that we can keep up and be a blessing to you in your life. At this time, I'm going to turn things back over to the praise team as we continue to sing to the Lord together this morning. Yeah. 
great treasure it is that God has done it all for us. Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His perfect love 
continuing in our in our uh, series on the book of Ephesians and as we've been going through this you know whenever you study a book of the Bible you can hit it in so many different ways and that's one of the things that's fun about preaching out of the Bible is you can hit the same passage like 10 15 different ways but what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at the fact that the church of Ephesus had an impact they weren't just a country club they weren't just a group unto themselves they actually had an impact on the world around them they made a difference they understood what their calling was. And when we look at this, as we've been going through this series, this series is not just about the concept of being an impactful church or a church that makes a difference for Jesus. It actually runs much deeper than that. We're called to be people who impact the world for Jesus. And the church will have no influence and no impact if individually we are not doing it because there's nothing magic about the building. The building's not all of a sudden going to start influencing people for Jesus. It's those of us who are within it. And this is, what, this is what we're called to do. God has called us to make a difference for him in this world by influencing as many people as we can for the cause of Christ. Now, we've been talking about many things that go into being a church and people of impact in the lives around us. In our church, we place a great emphasis on doctrine, on what we teach, and as we should, we should do that, because if you don't teach God's word properly, you're, what are you teaching? You're teaching man stuff, and pretty soon you got a cult going on or something, because people, are, you're just doing whatever you want to do. But here's the thing, as important as what we teach is, if we don't grasp the concept that we're going to deal with today, what we teach will make no difference. You know why? No one will listen. No one will care. They will just kind of give us that side-eye glance when we start talking about Jesus when they see that we are not living for Jesus in our life each day. And when they see that we are not developing relationships and, deal, and, and that our faith makes no difference in our relationships, people will not take us seriously. So if the way we live and the way we interact doesn't match the message that we proclaim, the message is very, it's basically worthless to people because the world does that all the time. There are two areas that we're going to examine in particular that we'll dig into when it deals with faith and our relationships. We're going to look at our relationships within the church family, 
and we're going to look at the husband-wife relationship. And these two things, these are two pillars of society, and that's the way God set things up. The church and your home should reflect the faith you have in Jesus Christ. Your witness will be impacted if, as a husband and wife, you guys are killing each other and then posting every fight on social media. People will laugh at you when you go to talk to them about Jesus. They, they will not take you seriously. If your relationship with your brothers and sisters in church is strained and people know that you're fighting and then you're blasting it on social media, people will not take you seriously because they're like, well, I thought you're supposed to love this Jesus, thought he's supposed to make a difference, thought you're supposed to be forgiven, thought you're supposed to be that. And they don't see that from you. They're like, well, what good is that? It's just something else somebody's trying to feed me. See, if our relationship with our church family and with our, within our, with our spouse is not good and we're airing it out, why would people listen to what we have to say? Here's the thing. The key to your earthly relationships being solid and being where they should be is making sure that your relationship with God is solid and where it's supposed to be. Because from that, everything else springs forth. It has to be that way because Jesus is your anchor. And if, if you can't anchor to him, you're going to have problems with friendships. You're going to have problems with relationships. You're going to have problems within your marriage and within the church because you've not anchored to Christ. You are anchored on yourself or your emotions or my feelings or all these other things that in the long run don't mean squat. Because ultimately, everything we do as a Christ follower, get that Christian? Christ follower has to come from that relationship with Jesus. Healthy relationships come from a healthy trust in God. Because when we don't trust that God will do the right thing or do the things that need to be done, then we start to take it into our own hands, and then problems begin. Because we think somehow, some way, we're going to get cheated if we don't trust God. Okay, let's dive into our text. We're going to begin this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, and it says this. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So our first observation we're going to look at this morning is how my relationship, my faith in Jesus should impact me and my Christian friends, my church family. I couldn't figure out a better way to say it, so I used friend. When I gave my life to Jesus, or when, I, when you give your life to Jesus, and you place your faith in him, what does that mean? What does that look like? The Bible tells me when I'm baptized into Christ, I'm a new creation, okay? Being in Christ, then, means that I have to look at things in a new way. Being in Christ means that I have to treat and see people in a different light than I used to. See, what we tend to do as humans is we tend to value stuff over people. We tend to bulldoze over people to get our stuff. We see this in marriages a lot and even in the church because it's not just stuff we value, we value me. Me value me. And so when me doesn't get what me wants, great English, isn't it? Um, me lashes out and bulldozes over you to get what me wants because we've made me the center of everything. And see, what we have to understand is, is that is the way of the world, folks. 
The world is about the, holy, uh, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And as a Christian, you can't live your life that way and follow Jesus. Because if you claim to follow Jesus and you're living that way, you're not following Jesus, you're following you, and you're asking Jesus to come along for the ride. You're asking Jesus, sit in the passenger seat, be my co-pilot. What was it, one of our trips years ago, this 18-wheeler had Jesus as my co-pilot, and we saw him up the road pulled over. His co-pilot got him in trouble, I guess. But see, in life, you can't live it that way. See, we get mad when folks don't give us what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And that impacts our relationships. Because when we are focused on me, myself, and I, me, myself, and I is never going to be happy. Because if you don't give me what I want now, and then something happens where you do, then later on, what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? Because I'm focused on myself. I'm not focused on anything else. Now, before we jump into a bit of verses 19 and 21, I want us to look at a passage that's really key to this whole section, to the whole issue of our relationships. And I think sometimes we miss this. Verse 18, Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit. See, the whole section we're examining today is anchored to this thought. Because before Paul gets into these relationships, he's talking about, okay, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And as a Christian, when you're baptized into Christ, you receive the, full, you receive the, whole, the Holy Spirit. You don't get just bits and pieces. You receive it. But then what ends up happening is when you live your life, you have to make a decision each and every moment, each and every day. What am I going to fill myself with? See, imagine you have a glass and you want to put something in it, but that glass is full of other stuff. You can't fill it with what you want to put in it. And your life is like a glass. Your body, yourself, you're like a glass. And you've got to decide in my glass how much of me I'm going to put in it and how much of everything else am I going to put in it versus how much of the Spirit I'm going to let be in it. Because the Holy Spirit is not just going to grab you and make you do whatever. You've got to be open to it. And so Paul, when he uses this phraseology about being filled with the Spirit, he means to be continually, constantly, all the time, nonstop. And think of it this way. Being, the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is saying that the Spirit, you're allowing the Spirit to guide you and to work in your life to do the ultimate thing. As a Christian, as a Christ follower, you're trying to be Christ-like. Okay, You're not trying to be Jesus. You're trying to be like Jesus. And you do that with the Holy Spirit within you. Now, here's the problem. If I get up today and I say, you know what, I'm going to put 95% Jeff in there and 5% Spirit, it's not going to work. Or if I say, you know, I'm going to have 50-50, God. We're going to do 50-50 because I kind of like to be in control. I kind of like to rule my own destiny, which is a facade, by the way. One little microbe will kill you. The thing is, the more of me that's in that glass, the less of the Spirit that's in that glass. And when that happens, when that happens, you're not being controlled by the Spirit. You are not being filled with the Spirit because you don't have room. And being a Christian is more than just sitting in this building, playing in this band, preaching from this pulpit, being an usher, a greeter. It is obeying, it's allowing yourself to be fully filled with God's Spirit. Let me ask you a question. And I'm asking you this as a fellow Christ follower. A disciple of Jesus, as the scripture tells us. Did Jesus mistreat people over real or perceived injustices that were done to him? 
did Jesus blast people when they didn't respond to him the way he thought they should? And by the way, he had every right to. I mean, it's rather impressive when you raise somebody from the dead and heal somebody of disease. You would think the right response would be, I'm bound down to this dude. Even when in the ascension that said there were some that didn't believe him, like, how knuckleheaded can you be to see that? No, I don't believe that. <laughs> he must be Chris Angel, mind freak or something. There's a trick to that. Man, that guy was good, by the way. But the funny thing is, when Jesus, when he hung on the cross, okay, he hung on the cross. Have any of you been put on a cross before, by the way? And don't give me this nonsense, well, this is my cross to bear. I just crack up when I hear that because I say, you have no clue. You have no clue. When Jesus was put on that cross, did he yell at people? Did he scream at people? Did he say, hey, give me my iPhone so I can blast them on social media for what they're doing? No, he didn't. He did not. What did he do? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, as Christians, Christ followers, that's your example. That's the standard. That's what we're called to follow. And if we can't do that, we need to work on it. If we can't do that, we need more of the Spirit and less of me in that glass. Does that make sense? Because as a Christ follower, my relationship with you is a reflection of my relationship with him. Jesus was tough on the religious leaders because of their position. Those boys, those boys should have known better. They were a horrible example, and so Jesus was difficult on them. But whenever Jesus did anything and he didn't get the response that he wanted, did he condemn them? Was Jesus continually offended by everything under the sun and then act nasty because of it? Or was he mad all the time when you see him? He got mad in the, in the money changer thing because they offended God. But Jesus didn't go around acting mad all the time. He didn't blast people. He didn't tear up his brethren. When Jesus looked down on Jerusalem, okay, the city where he was going to be crucified, he knew it was gonna, he was going to be crucified. And it wasn't just taking, hey, Jesus, we're going to put you on the cross. They beat him about 80% to death before they did that. Those Romans knew how to bring you to the edge of death and, bring, and, and hold back so you would suffer on the cross. When he looked down on that city, he didn't think, man, I cannot wait to cast you guys into hell. I hate you. I'm going to blast you all over the place. He didn't do that, did he? What did he do? He wept. Why did he do that? Because he cared. He cared for people who were going to abuse him, folks. That's your standard. That's the standard for dealing with one another. Even if somebody hurts you or wrongs you, you got to love them. Man, that's hard. I wish he would have just flamed everybody. It would have been so much easier. So much easier. Now, that's the backdrop for what he's going to say through the rest of this chapter. That's the backdrop. Verses 19 and 20 through 21, Paul's going to use five participles or five actions, if you will, that happen to those who are in the Spirit. In verse 19, he uses... He uses he's, the word speaking to one another, that phrase is one of them. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Also in verse 19, he uses two more, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. In verse 20, he uses always giving thanks for all the things in the name of Jesus. And then in verse 21, he uses this ugly, nasty four-letter word, submitting to one another out of reverent fear for Christ. I didn't take math at Bible college, I did at the university. So anyway... These, the three actions in verse 19, when you look at them, many people will just tie that, oh, that's what we do when we come to church. And there is a flavor of that. 
But when you look at the original text, it's not just public worship. That should be happening whenever we deal in our private life with people. Now, thank God that doesn't mean it's a musical. I hate musicals. I watch that Les Miserables, or Less Miserables as I call it. It should be more. They sang every stinking line in in the movie. It was horrific. I would rather have bamboo stuck under my fingernails than to watch that. It was horrible. My wife loved it, though. But I'm just thankful that we don't sing every song or sing everything to each other. That's not what this means. This goes to attitude. Typically, unless you're real melancholy and you like real dark music, when you're singing in your heart, you're joyful, aren't you? Music should bring joy. It should bring happiness to you. So when one is singing to the Lord in their hearts, it's hard to be nasty. If you're joyful and you're happy, it's hard to be nasty. And see, when you go into dealing with people within the church, your church family, if you go to them, your attitude will determine how you deal with them. If you go to them as their enemy, if you go to them that you've been cheated, if you go to them that you're mad, if you go to them that you hate them, you're going to deal with them differently than if you go to them like, okay, I've been hurt, help me understand what happened. Help me understand how this happened. And you go to them with that attitude of joy and love, knowing that that's my brother or sister in Christ. My little brother and I, man, I love, I love that guy to death. When we were younger, though, we fought like crazy. I practiced professional wrestling moves on him, did all kinds of mean stuff to that kid. One time he got scratched, and I thought, hey, I'm going to do this, and I took alcohol and poured it on there. You know, it was just a scratch. And he's screaming about it because obviously it hurts. And my dad, what did you do? And he told him, and my dad kind of snickered at me. He said, don't do that again, son. But, you know, but my brother and I, we love each other, man. We, we had our tussles and fights, but ultimately, that's my brother. Nothing would separate me from my brother. Plus, he took me to some great fishing when I was home. Man, it was great. But the thing is, you have to, we have to deal with each other in that manner. We may have disputes at times. You know, Paul and John Mark, they had disputes. And eventually, Paul says, hey, bring John Mark, man. I love the guy. What we need to realize is, when you're filled with the Spirit, your heart is full of Jesus, it's hard not to be joyful. As a matter of fact, in the parallel passage of this, in Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Now listen to this. Teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with the grace in your hearts to God. See, we see the same thing. The singing doesn't just refer to the worship service, but it refers to an attitude of joy. And when you have that attitude, it's infectious. Verse 21 is the key to how we treat our church family. And it also affects our relationships. Now, a lot of times people will take verse 21 and say, well, that goes with verses 22 and following. But I believe it goes with verses 8 or 19 to 20 also. Here's what it says. Oh, here's that bad word again. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice that verse 21 begins with and. So what he's saying is that verse 21 is the jelly to verse 19 and 20's peanut butter. Because peanut butter and jelly, man, it doesn't get much better than that. And then he also saying that verse 21 is the peanut butter for verses 22 and following's jelly. They go together. And many people hate with a passion the thought of submitting to somebody. They hate it for various reasons. Now, within the context of marriage, which we'll look at here in a moment, this concept has ruined many marriages. And it doesn't mean that they've ended. It just means that they're not, it's, it's in existence. 
And violating this has ruined and emasculated many husbands out there. Submission, though, is not a one-way street. Notice verse 21, we're to submit to one another. And so we think, well, what do I have to, who do I have to submit to in the church? Who am I supposed to submit to? And by the way, submission doesn't mean that one's, un, that one's better than the other. You've got to get that, we've got to understand that. But we're to submit to people according to their abilities, responsibilities, and, per, and position. For instance, you've got somebody, well, Rod leads the worship team, okay? The band in the first team service have to submit to his authority as the one who's in charge of that. Not to do so is violating what Christ called them to do. It's disrespectful. Or somebody who has, like if I'm working on the computer and I'm messing it up and somebody with more skill comes in, I need to submit to their ability because they know more than I do about it. And it'd be foolish not to. And then obviously responsibility. If you're responsible, let's say for communion prep, you're heading up communion prep, and all the communion prep people say, I'm going to do it how I want to. I'm going to do it how I want to. You can't tell me what to do. You know what? You're not doing it anymore because you're not responsible for it. We deal with this sometimes at the shelter. People will come in and say, I'm going to do it how I want. No, you won't. See you later because you're not helping. See, you have to be able to submit to somebody with somebody's position, their responsibility, and their ability. People want to take over other people's job that they have no responsibility for. So when it goes south, their head's not in the noose. I had an elder like that at one of my churches trying to run everything I was doing. I finally said, look, look, I'm the one who's going to get fired when it fails because the way you want to do it doesn't work or you wouldn't have brought me in. So let me do my job. And if I fail at it, fire me. But don't fire me for me doing your work. I just won't, I don't operate that way. Christians are called to be submissive to civil authorities, Romans 13, to church leaders, Hebrews 13, 17, to parents in Colossians 3, 20, and in this passage, to one another. The whole structure of the church the whole structure of society as ordered by God depends on the readiness of its members to recognize such deference. If you come in and you're not willing to be submissive to, to these areas within the church, you're going to cause trouble and you're going to damage the witness of the church because you will never be happy. Many issues arise within a church when people refuse to be submissive to people in position with responsibility and with ability because they want it their way or they've got an ego involved and they're always pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I've come to learn this over the years, it just doesn't work. But when you have a proper attitude and a proper heart, like I said, sometimes you're still gonna have some disputes, but they're not destructive. Like I said, John Mark left the mission field on Paul and Paul was livid. He said, that's a mama's boy, I'm paraphrasing. I don't want him anywhere near me. Barnabas said, oh, John Mark's great. Paul says, nope, he's a quitter. But you know what? Later on, and some Paul's later writes, hey, bring John Mark. I like him. He's a good guy. He, he'll be helpful. So even though they had that dispute, it wasn't destructive. John Mark didn't stomp off into the wilderness somewhere. Paul didn't stomp off into the wilderness somewhere. They took a breath, came back together, and worked well together. But when you come in with the right heart, ultimately, if you come into a situation thinking it's my way or the highway, particularly when you're not in a position of responsibility, leadership, or with the skill level, you're going to be on the highway, not them. Because we're here to call, we're called to work together. We're called to work together. Let's drop down to verses 22 to 24. And, oh, I hate this one. Um, I'm going to take a look at the crowd here. First service, I had to duck down behind the pulpit because I was afraid I was going to get some nasty looks. You all look like you're smiling, so I, I'm, I'm going I'm to chance it. Security, be watching for any firearms that might come out from the ladies on this one, please. 
so I can duck. I wish this was bulletproof. I'd feel better. Here we go. Ephesians 2, or excuse me, 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Whew, that's rough. So, a Christian wife. As a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, as a wife, how should you deal with your husband? How should your faith impact your relationship with your husband? Now, before we get into that, there's a few things we do need to understand when it comes to this passage. First of all, the biblical concept of submission is not forced. In other words, I can't go to my wife, grab her by the back of her and say, you're going to do this. Submission is voluntary. Also, you have to realize you don't even have to submit your life to God. You don't have to. But realize there's a consequence. Ladies, you don't have to submit to your husbands. But you know what? There'll be a consequence. And I'm not talking about getting hit or anything. I mean, there's going to be spiritual consequences. You'll answer to God for that. Huh. Submission to your husband doesn't also, it doesn't make you the inferior. It does not make you a doormat. Any man that would treat his wife like a doormat is not a man of God. A man of God does not do that to his wife. He cherishes her and he loves her. We'll talk about that in a minute. By the way, ladies, three verses for the women, five for guys. Paul's getting on us harder. If you're a female with the attitude that you'll never be submissive to a man, do yourself and men around the world a favor and stay single. Because if you go into a marriage with that kind of attitude, you might find some wimpy dude who will who'll go with you, but you've emasculated him, he'll be miserable. And so will you. He won't be a man. He'll be just like your little eunuch servant. That's what you've, that's what you've turned him into. So if you've got that to do, I'm never going to submit. I'm not submit. I don't need no man. Okay, then don't get one. Please stay single. Submission also doesn't mean blind obedience, but rather it implies a voluntary giving up of one's self-centered interests and agendas for the well-being of the other person. For instance, if I tell my wife, honey, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a new truck in my future. Can you go to the bank and rob it for me? And well, no, I'm not. Well, why? You're supposed to be submissive. No, that'd be stupid and blind obedience. Submission doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Any of you young ladies here that aren't married, there's a few of you. If you're with a man that you don't trust has your best interest, that you don't feel like you could submit to his authority in marriage, that is not the right man for you. I don't care how hot he is or how much money he makes, that is not the man for you. You have to be willing to look at that man and say, you know what? This man will put me first, and he will have my best interest at heart no matter what. He won't be selfish. He will cherish me. He will love me. He will take care of me. I can trust his decision-making. He'll miss, miss one up here and there. It happens. We're not perfect. But overall, I trust this man. I am willing to submit my life to him, to his authority. If you can't do that, you need to run. Because you'll get married. You'll be miserable. He'll be miserable. And then you're going to bring kids into it, and then your kids are going to be miserable because they're spending half the time with you, half the time with them. So do yourself a favor. If you're with a guy like that right now and you're dating, stop dating him. Find one that you can respect and one that, you can submit, that you're saying, you know what, I know I can submit my, myself to this person because I know they won't take advantage of me. Huh. 
When we get to the next section of, the section of our passage, we'll see what you should be looking for in a Christian man and what we as Christian men should be doing. And Paul, when he says this, he offers a motivation for the wife to choose to be submissive to her husband. Lest I forget, this command is not for women to be submissive to all men, just to their own husband. Verse 23, Paul says, this is why you should do it. Because the husband is ahead of the wife, and this goes back to the fall. He, that was part of Eve's curse, which I don't know why. To me, it seemed like it'd be a blessing, but anyway, he's a man, but I don't know what's going on with that. But anyway, because the husband is ahead of the wife, as also Christ is ahead of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. The appeal to Paul for the wife to treat her husband in this manner He's saying, this is what Jesus wants you to do. So as a follower of Jesus, that is your responsibility. And by the way, you'll answer for it. You'll stand before God and God say, why weren't you submissive to that guy? Now, your husband's not on the same level with Jesus, but you're to treat him like Jesus because that's what Jesus wants you to treat him the way Jesus asked you to, I should say. And I know what you're thinking. Jeff, you don't know my husband. No, I don't. And by the way, some of you are in horrific marriages. And when you've got a dude who's beating you on you, you need to get out of that. He, there, man, no man has a right to ever lay a hand on a woman. I'm old school. But you're right, I don't know your husband. But what I do know about your husband, he's not perfect. I know that. No one is. But let me ask you a question. How perfect does he have to be before you're willing to submit to his authority? What level of perfection are you looking for? Because if you're looking for Jesus' perfection, you'll never do it. Because none of us will measure up. Then I'll ask you, why aren't you willing to be submissive to him? Is it that you know better than him? Is it pride because society's telling us that we don't need men anymore? And by the way, it's part of the reason it's falling apart. Could it be that your husband's not the spiritual hold of the head of the house? And I get that one. Men, when we get to your part, you're going to get hammered on this because we're called to be the spiritual heads of our house. We're going to stand before God where God's going to say, Jeff, why did you make your wife the spiritual head of your house while you played video games and did everything else? You're going to answer for that. See, the way I see it for the wife is making the choice to be submissive to her husband puts you in a super vulnerable position. It's a vulnerable position. To make the decision, say, I'm going to be submissive to my husband, man, that takes a lot of faith in Christ, a lot of trust in God, and a lot of trust and faith in your spouse. You have to trust, number one, that he will not take advantage of you. And number two, you've got to trust that he's going to be looking out for you. Let's drop down to verses 20 to 25. The five for the gentleman. Husbands, and we can stop at verse 25, by the way. It's, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds it. He takes care of it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So the Christian husband. Hmm. In the marriage relationship, the wife obviously puts herself in a position of vulnerability however the husband is placed in a position of great responsibility before god men we are going to stand before god and we will be accountable for how we manage our household i will stand before god for if i'm going to be selfish take advantage of my wife if i'm not going to be the spiritual head of my house god will ask me what was you doing 
What were you thinking? We have to ensure that our wives do not fear being taken advantage of in this relationship. We need to make it easier for her to make that decision to, be, to carry out her part of the, marriage, of, the, of, the, of the marriage relationship. And the way we do it is very simple. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, is Christ selfish toward the church? Did Christ take advantage of the church? Did Christ try to drive the church into the ground? Did Christ try to lead the church in unrighteousness? Nope, he died for the church. He sacrificed himself for the church. We are to love our wives to the point where we would throw our lives down, proverbially throw ourselves in front of the bus to protect them. Well, I don't need no man to protect me. I'm just a strong, okay, I don't want to hear that baloney. Men, we're called to be the provider and the protector of our home. Does that mean your wife can make, can't make more money? No, it doesn't. doesn't mean any of that. It means when push comes to shove, you are the head of the house. And Christ loved the church so much that he died for it. He suffered for it. He sacrificed for it. So husbands, we're called to sacrifice for our wives. We're called to love our wives. We're called to throw ourselves. If we have to lay down our lives for our wives, we're called to do it. We're called to do that. See, if I love my wife that way, if you love your wife that way, the wife should have zero problem with her role of being submissive, unless she has a spiritual problem or a pride problem. If she knows without a doubt I love her in this manner, why would she not want to do that? Why would she not want to follow it other than pride or a spiritual problem in those circumstances? If she knows that I will provide, protect, and that every decision to the best of my ability, even the dumb ones I make occasionally, I'm thinking of her, her well-being, her spiritual, her spiritual well-being, why would you not want to submit in, the, in that situation? See, the love that we're to have for our wives is that agape love, and agape means to do what's spiritually best for another person. So as a husband, I don't want to lead my path down the, down the path of righteous. Of, of unrighteousness. I don't want to lead her in anything that's going to, to stain her or to hurt her reputation or to, be, to hurt her mentally or physically or emotionally. See, that's not what I'm called to do. Far too many modern men act like little selfish kids who think that a wife is there to cook, to clean, and to be a physical gratification toy. And that's it. And that's wrong, gentlemen. We're called to love our wives. We are commanded to love our wives. By the way, in Scripture, men are constantly told to love their wives. One time that I found wives are commanded to love their husbands in Timothy, where the older women are supposed to teach the younger women how to do it. Other time, every other time, we'll see this in our last verse, women are called to respect their husbands. We'll talk about that at the end. But the bottom line is, I am going to be accountable before God for the type of wife I have because how I treat her will dictate, will impact how she is able to respond. If she can't trust a thing I do or a thing I say, and then she's, you know, and I've made it almost impossible for her to do her part, I'm, I'm the one who's accountable for that. Men, do you feel your wife doesn't respect you? This isn't always the case because some people just won't respect other people. But make sure that you're living and acting respectfully. Does she question all of your decisions? Some people will. But in general, make better decisions. I need to make sure that she sees that I love her as Christ loved the church. Now, for you single guys out here, you need to hear me on this one. If you're with a woman and you can't love her as Christ loved the church, I don't care how hot she is, 
that's not the right woman for you. If you can't love her as Christ loved the church, if you can't say, I would do anything for this woman, I would die for this woman, I would sacrifice everything for this woman, I will do anything I can to provide and protect for this woman, I will look out for her well-being spiritually, emotionally, and physically. If you can't do that with the woman you're with, you're with the wrong woman, dude. If you're single, find someone else. Work on yourself till you can get to that point because many times the problem isn't with the woman, it's with you. Men, are you having issues at home with your wife? Many times that ends up happening because we are not taking our position as the spiritual heads of the house. Sometimes it's our behavior. If I'm laying around playing Xbox or whatever the latest platform is, my Xbox is really old, and that's all you're doing, and you're on up till five in the morning playing Call of Duty or whatever with your buddies, and you're not doing anything around the house, you're not doing anything to spend time with your wife, and then you're saying, hey, it's physical gratification time, honey. Um, don't, don't expect, don't be surprised when she says no. See, be who you're supposed to be as a man. Be somebody worthy of respect. Be somebody that she'll love. There's some exceptions, there always is. But husbands, it's time to grow up and to let your wife know that she can trust that you have her best interests at heart. Husbands and wives are extensions of one another. The two shall become one flesh. The husband is to love his wife like his own flesh, as we see in verses 28 to 30. Ultimately, you can talk about Jesus all you want, but if your faith doesn't impact your relationships, there's some work that needs to be done. We're going to have disputes. It's going to happen at times. But I've seen way too much, way too many times where people are just destroying people and we're making sport of it. You know, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a big fan of our president, but I felt bad for the man when he fell down the other day. And people making memes, making fun. That dude's an 80-year... My dad's, my dad's his age. My dad's 80. And my dad fell the other day when we were get, you know, going to, when doing my mom's memorial service. And I, when I saw President Biden fall, I saw my dad, literally. Huh. We, our faith has to impact our relationships. I've seen too many marriages destroyed, even if they're together, by unloving husbands and by wives who decided that they're going to take their husband's manhood and run the house and run him. And then he's like a little sick puppy dog that's been neutered. You know, we get animals at the shelter and all hopping and jumping, and then you take them and get them done, and they're like, eh, I think I'm a little more relaxed now. You know, that happens to men all the time, literally. I've seen churches whose witness have been hurt by people who are unwilling to submit to one another. My way or the highway, and I will destroy you. I will scorch earth you to make you pay for not coming up with the, coming the way I want you to be able to do things. The last thought I want to give you is in five, verse five, chapter 5 and verse 33. Nevertheless, this is when it's all said and done, each one of you must love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. My question for you today is, do your relationships reflect your faith that you say you have in God? I know we're growing. We're not perfect. But when we recognize those times, we need to make it right. And for those of us who are married, husbands, read that passage and make sure that's what you're doing. Wives, read that passage make sure that's what you're doing. Those of you who are single, read that passage and make sure that's what you're going to do and that's who you're going to be with. Because let me tell you what, uh, Marriage can be a life sentence if it's not handled right, or it can be a joy that will just, you hope, never ends. This morning, our praise team is going to lead us in a song of decision. 
And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity to do that this morning. We're going to sing a song of decision together, and as we sing that song, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we give that opportunity to do that this morning. Jesus will change your life. Jesus will change your life if you let him. He's not going to make you do it. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you're in need of prayer, if you'd like to come forward this morning, I'd be glad to pray with you. Life's not always easy by far. Relationships are very complicated. But if we put Christ to the center and go into those relationships with our heart in the right place, you'll be amazed at how much easier those relationships become. If you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together. Reckless love.
No shadow you'll light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. You know, one of the things I like about that song is it encapsulates the love that God has for us. And when we come around this table and take communion, I think that one of the things that we need to do is we need to understand that the motivation for Jesus to do what he did was that reckless love. I mean, he was willing to go to the cross, and he did go to the cross and die for us. And nobody made him do it. He could have stopped it at any time. To stop it at any time, though, would have benefited him because he wouldn't have to go through the suffering and the pain he did, but it would have affected us. But by going to the cross because of that reckless love that he has for us, it, it benefited him in a sense that the satisfaction of knowing that he did what needed to be done so that we could have the blessings and the benefits from his death, burial, and resurrection by the shedding of his blood, that was what he got out of it. And what he'll get out of it is one day when we get to stand before him and be with him for eternity. You know, 70, 80, 90 years seems like a long time. Imagine eternity. And he loves you that much that he wants to be with you for eternity. And so he did what, was, what needed to be done. He went to the cross. He allowed himself to be scourged, to be beaten, to be made fun of, to be spat upon, to have his stuff all gambled away right before him. 
He died on that cross, but he didn't stay dead because he did what God called him to do and the power of God raised him from the dead, and that was all, all about love. I don't like it when people say, well, God was a mean God in the Old Testament. He was love in the New Testament. God has always been a God of love, always, and he's always loved you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can have this opportunity to take this time to remember the sacrifice that was made. And I pray, Lord, that we remember why it was done. And that why motivates us. That why drives us. That why compels us to love you and to live for you. Lord, we thank you that we can have eternal life through the sacrifice that Jesus made as he exhibited that reckless love for us. That cup's going to represent his blood that was shed. That bread's going to represent his body that was bruised and battered and beaten. And these things were done out of great love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, in the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. There will be no uh, elementary or high school activities for the month of July because of church camp. And the high school camps, they're, going, they're starting today. They'll be there on Friday, so we want to pray that they all come back physically in one piece and that spiritually they come back different and they come back changed and they grow. Um, we have the LOL group meets Tuesday. We have no teen Bible study through the month of July because Jerry will be gone at camp. The adults were meeting. Um, we have our Spa Plus, which I'll let Jules hit on in just a moment. I got her a mic even this time. The Sunshine ladies are going to meet at Culver's. 
Operation Christmas Child's accepting donations of school supplies. That's in your bulletin. And you'll see the information about the spa event. And by the way, I like her new logo. It looks really cool. And the school system with Peaches Pantry, remember, they're not taking any food donations until they get their new facility taken care of. And I think Jules wants to tell you about spam. <laughs> We're going to go. You work all the time. Nope. Oh, there there it is. <laughs> I told first service, I even told them, I was like, if you haven't been in second service to see what goes on between me and this crazy guy right here, well, I am inviting him. You. It's not my fault. Do you, do you know, I, I mean, we set this up just for you and you're not even going to come? Yeah, I should do it on a Sunday after uh, and take over church. Do you see this demands? This is absolutely, I have to put up with this. This is my brother up here. <laughs> I, I told for a service, I was like, watch out, y'all. This is what happens. Uh, for those that are not rusty, uh, <laughs> um, in all seriousness, uh, this is the first time that we've actually done this uh, Spa Plus event. What is a Spa Plus event? Um, it is for the ladies plus. Uh, so bring your significant others um, or if there's a person that's in your life that you feel like really wants to come and they've, they're uh, younger, they can come, your family's invited. We would just absolutely love it. Um, I did get some questions if it was uh, required for hiking and no it's not for hiking you can hike absolutely it's more just for an event for us to get together um, there were a lot of people that didn't raise their hand in first service but I'm going to ask in a second how many of you have been up Mount Lemmon that's a good amount but there's quite a few that still have it this is the opportunity to go up Mount Lemmon just experience what God uh because his beauty for us. Um, if you want to have a picnic up there, absolutely you can. Um, myself, we're going to partake in uh, having lunch up at Summer Haven. Um, and uh, we just would love to have you guys. This is a family event. Um, the cost to you is just getting up to Mount Lemon. We're going to meet here in the parking lot at 845 this Saturday. Uh, and then we are going to leave around 9 o'clock. We are going to regroup. If you're caravanning or if you are carpooling, uh, it is great time to just, uh, maybe you want to have a big sing-along in the car. Go for it. <laughs> um, but we will caravan or get to a parking lot up in, um, see, you, you're missing out. Uh, we're going <laughs> to. I don't know if you could drive and play your guitar at the same time, though. Uh, but we were going to meet up. Uh, I think there's a Safeway at the bottom of the hill. Uh, I have instructions and a location for you guys. There's a flyer that Val was passing out for us. There's more I can give them to you, Robin. Uh, if you have questions, this is absolutely, please let us know. We would absolutely love men and female and no age gap uh, is excluded from this. We would just absolutely love to have anybody included um, and invited. God is so beautiful. How do I want to say this? God is so good to us that he gives us things that are so beautiful. And one of the things that I absolutely love about Mount Lemon is the terrain that you go through as you go from the bottom to the top. When you get to the top, there are these 
uh, beautiful trees that are up there that are breathtaking. And I do not have a green thumb, but I can tell you that they wouldn't survive even if I wanted to plant some of those trees that are up there. Um, but it is absolutely breathtaking. If you want to come down and, and go to Windy Point, you absolutely can. I did not put it on the itinerary because the parking lot on Windy Point is really um, small. But if you want to come back down and go to Windy Point and view, that is is breathtaking just to see Tucson. It is absolutely breathtaking. So I encourage you, if you have questions, just reach out to us. Um, I am going to be sad that Rusty's not going, but I'm really excited to see who does. That'll be a lot of fun. There's a cookie place up there that I heard was good. I don't know for sure, but I'll check that place out. Um, yeah, your kids, by the way, you're, they are welcome. Just don't dump them in the parking lot and leave them. You have to go with them, so just make sure, make sure we're aware of that, um, or else I'll get to influence your children, and you might not like that. Um, at this time, we also have in our bulletin our prayers and prayer concerns and prayer celebration. Uh, we baptized Mark Shamoon this last week. That was amazing. And we have people we've been praying for on the health list. We're praying for uh, our deployed troops. So keep Bobby Frank, Frank in your prayers as he mourns the passing of his wife. Uh, we're praying for the local schools of our outreach and for Boise Bible College and the work that they do. At this time, let's stand together and we'll have a word. Of, uh, I'll have a closing prayer and our band will lead us out. Father, we're joyful that we can be a part of your family. And I pray, Lord, that as we live life this week, that people can see the joy that we have in you. Lord, that I pray that our faith affects our relationships the way it should. And Father, help us when we struggle in those areas, which we do, help us to, to get, get things back together and do what we need to do to make them right. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.